Well, I'm grateful to be back with you all this week. Um, our other elders and I continue to pray for you all and for your church leadership and for the Grubbs family during these difficult days. And you know, when our, our emotions are raw or our minds foggy or our hearts heavy, there's, there's nothing we need more than to be gathered as God's people. Trust you've been refreshed even through the fellowship together and, and to gather to worship to worship our good and gracious King, the one true and living God through our Lord Jesus Christ and, and to turn together to the source of our comfort and clarity, the word of God. I invite you to turn with me, as Dusty mentioned, to the book of 2 Timothy chapter four this morning. You know, last week we're re- we were reminded together of the stability that is found in God alone, that only God is eternally the same. He alone is our our rooted source of confidence and and hope in this life and the life to come. And at the same time, people matter. Uh, Our relationships with others are vital to our spiritual health and growth, even though God alone is our rock. The reality is people are not God. People are not stable as he is in every way. And so relationships with others can be difficult as we've all been reminded this past week. And so together we're gonna consider a passage that helps us think clearly about the importance of human relationships while also recognizing their limitations and, and the, the pain that too often comes from them. And certainly this text applies to the immediate circumstances that this church is facing, but really it, it helps us think rightly about any and every human relationship that we have or will have. So let's consider together realities of relationships this morning in 2 Timothy chapter four, verses nine through 22. Let's read it together. Paul writing to Timothy in verse nine says, make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. You know, in this passage, Paul concludes this letter to his dear friend, Timothy, who was pastoring in Ephesus. And Paul writes to him from prison. 
This is a letter at the end of Paul's life, knowing his time has almost come to an end. If you look back at verse six of this chapter, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And so Paul, as he nears the end of his life, He writes to Timothy to encourage him to remain faithful in ministry. In fact, in the the preceding passage at the beginning of chapter four, he, he charged Timothy to be faithful to preach the word in season and out of season regardless of, of the response of others, the desires of others, or the consequences his own, in his own life to be faithful, to fulfill the ministry that God had given him. This last section of this letter then is a, a very personal glimpse into Paul's heart and life. You know, in some ways it's not unlike what we see at the end of, of many of Paul's letters to churches where he is greeting those who are there and sending greetings from those who are with him. But in other ways, it's very distinct from the ending of those letters. You see, Paul is not here primarily greeting, although he, he does ask Timothy to greet a few friends in verse 19. Rather, at this season, Paul is lonely. He's alone in in prison anticipating his death and and he's writing to his friend for for help. And he's describing the reality of various relationships that have played out in his life, giving updates on them. You know, this is one of those sections of scripture that's, that's easy to skip over, isn't it? You know, as I read that, you might have even been thinking, you know, this is only slightly more interesting than like an Old Testament genealogy or, or the dividing of the land at the end of the book of Joshua. You know, why would we look at a text like this? Well, the reality is this section, though, though it's very personal, is very profitable. And, and Paul is still teaching Timothy and us as he recounts these things. You see, he's reminding us that our lives are not to be lived in isolation, but rather we are to to be connected to others, to live in relationship with others. You know, in addition to Timothy and Paul, Paul refers to 17 people by name in these verses, as well as others more generally, the household of, the brethren. Paul's life was connected to or intertwined with the lives of others, and ours are to be as well. This can be a wonderful reality as we will see the the benefit from support, encouragement, and and practical help from others. It can also be a tremendous challenge when we face abandonment, opposition, or hurt from others. You see, like Paul, we will experience both. But, But remember the context, regardless of those human relationships, Paul says, we are to be faithful to our Lord. We can and must be. And so Paul begins this closing section of his letter to Timothy reflecting on a number of relationships and asking Timothy to to come and be with him, demonstrating really the first reality of relationships we'll consider together today, which is that our lives are benefited by other people. Our lives are benefited by other people. We benefit from the relationships that God brings with others in this life. We see first that we benefit from the companionship of others. Notice again back in verse nine, writing to Timothy, he says, make every effort to come to me soon. 
Now, Timothy, as I mentioned, was in Ephesus. Paul was in prison in Rome. This was a significant journey. It was about 800 miles as the crow flies from Ephesus to Rome. This was not a quick weekend trip to say hi to Paul. This was a big deal. In our day, this would be a significant trip, much less in his with the the nature of travel at that time. Down in verse 21, he says specifically, make every effort to come before winter. We'll see a little more of the the reason for that in a bit as, as he needed his cloak for that season. But at this time in his life, as Paul neared the end, he longed to be with Timothy. Why was that? Well, Timothy was, was a dear friend of Paul's. He was one that Paul had invested in, discipled. He's described in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, as his true child in the faith. And in 2 Timothy 1, my beloved son. He's described in 1 Corinthians 4, 16 as a beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And, and in Philippians 2, 20, he says, I have no one else of kindred spirit like Timothy who will genuinely be concerned for you. Timothy was a, a like-minded brother, one that Paul had led to the Lord and seen grow in maturity and who would continue on in the ministry, Lord willing, after Paul was gone. And so Paul longed to be with him to both encourage Timothy and reinforce all that he had taught him as he was doing even in this letter and to be encouraged by him. You know, it's easy in the midst of hard times to retreat and isolate ourselves. Paul knew that wasn't what he needed. You see, when we isolate ourselves, we can begin to think wrongly and, and about our trials and our circumstances and all of life. Paul didn't sit there and just let his mind go. He was investing in Timothy through this letter and longed for that fellowship to be together, to spur one another on. There is great benefit from the companionship of others. Paul knew God had woven his life with others and he did so so that they might be with one another and spur one another on. How about us? Do do we value the companionship of others? Are we eager to build deep relationships with with our spouse, with other believing friends, with the members of this body? Or are we tempted towards isolation to retreat when things are difficult or just to stay on the surface. But the benefit of companionship was magnified at this point in Paul's life because he found himself now near the end of his life, particularly alone. You see, the reality is we benefit from the companionship of others, but at times we will be without them. That was the case for Paul. Timothy was not with him and and many others were no longer with him as well. Notice verse 10 and following, it says, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. You see, there are times where we are alone, where we feel alone, and this was such a season for Paul. He he says, only Luke is with me. Now, there are some others in verse 21 that are mentioned, so it seems like Paul is referring to to only Luke out of those who were in his kind of inner circle of ministry partners. He's the only one who's present with him at this point. You know, why will we at times be like Paul was without the companionship of others that we desire? Well, we see a number of reasons in this 
this text. The first that we see with Demas is sometimes it's because others have sinfully abandoned you or at least are no longer with you because of their sin. That was the case with Demas. Demas had been a, a trusted traveling companion and a fellow worker of Paul. We, we meet him in verses like Colossians 4.14 where he was with Paul sending greetings to the church at Colossae. And in Philemon verse 24, he's listed among the, the fellow workers of Paul along with Mark and Aristarchus and Luke. Yet at this season, he had deserted Paul and gone to Thessalonica. Why? Well, it says he, he did so having loved this present world. You know, this is uh, in contrast to what Paul said in, at the end of verse eight to, to all who have loved his appearing. You see, Paul's desire and love was for the Lord Jesus Christ and he was longing for his appearing, for his return. Demas got so focused on this life and, and this present world that he did not remain faithful. We, we don't know exactly what it was that, that Demas was drawn to, the comfort or pleasure of this world, some specific sinful passion or desire. And we don't know even does this show that he was never really in Christ like the rocky or thorny soil or that he'd simply grown weary and gave into temptation for a time. But regardless, he abandoned Paul in his time of need because of his love of the world. Sometimes we will find ourselves alone because of others' sin, because they have neglected or abandoned us sinfully or on account of their sin. But, but sometimes it will simply be because God has other priorities for those who you would wish could be with you. He says Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Crescens, we don't know much about him or why he went to Galatia. Paul doesn't say anything negative about him. So we would assume that it was for some legitimate reason, maybe even Paul sending him there for ministry. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. It was not uncommon for Paul to direct Titus to various places to serve in ministry. You, you may remember in, in chapter one of Titus verse five, Paul had left him in Crete to set in order what remains and appoint elders in other city, all the cities there. And after Paul's house arrest in Rome, Paul ended up in a, a town called Nicopolis and, and he'd asked Titus to join him there. In chapter three, he said, make every effort to come to me for I've decided to spend the winter there in Nicopolis. One commentator writes, it may have been from Nicopolis that Titus went to Dalmatia, probably at the request of Paul in order to strengthen the church and build up its leaders. See, Titus was probably doing a, a, a good work there but because of that, he wasn't with Paul. Verse 12 says, Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. We, we don't know, again, exactly when or, or why. It may have been to, sit, to deliver this letter. It may have been earlier. Even in verse 20, it says, Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Again, we don't know a lot of details. It may have been ministry that, that kept him in Corinth. Trophimus in God's providence was ill or sick and so was not with Paul at this point. You know, Paul understood this reality. Paul was okay with this reality. He understood that those I love and care for deeply cannot and should not always be with me because of the priorities that God has given to them. 
because there is more work to be done than where I am. You know, he didn't ask or expect everyone to come and hang out with him. He didn't say, hey, uh, Timothy, get the whole gang together and bring them all here with me. No, he, he understood that, that God was at work in various places and people were where they should be. Even in verse 19, he says, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. He doesn't say bring them with you. Paul understood that that while he needed and desired companionship, he also respected the limitations of that which come in the providence of God and because of the work of God. How about us? You know, certainly we should be careful not to sinfully abandon those in need, not to neglect the ministry God's given us to others because of the desire of our hearts for comfort or pleasure or sin. This doesn't mean that we can expect to meet every need, does it? These verses remind us of our limitations. We can only be in one place at a time. We're called to be faithful where we are and God uses the variety of people and their gifts to accomplish his purposes. But we should be faithful and sacrificial in our love and care for others that he has providentially connected to us at the various seasons of life. And we should be okay and even excited for what God has given others to do, even when it means they can't be with us. You know, to a degree, my my wife and I feel this every time we get to be with you all as we see people that we love and, and, and miss deeply. And yet we are very excited that you are here doing what you are called to do in this place. You know, I'm sure is the case for many of you. We, we also have dear friends serving Christ around the world and, and it's a joy when they come and visit us or if we have the opportunity to visit them, but then we rejoice when they go back to be faithful where the Lord has them. Even your, your children or grandchildren who faithfully follow Christ as the Lord directs them elsewhere away from you to serve faithfully in other churches or other parts of the world, we should rejoice in that and and be thankful for those things even when it means we don't get to enjoy the relationship with them at that season in close proximity. It also reminds us that we cannot always be with those we think need us or would benefit from us being with them. You know, if you're a parent and your kids are getting older, you, you, you know this reality. When you send them off somewhere without you and you're like, Ugh, I wish I could be there to help them and to direct them. Our 16-year-old daughter, Ashlyn, just got her driver's license and she'd been driving with her mom and, and it was like, okay, now it's time to say you're gonna drive without mom. And in some ways, that's a great relief to say I'm no longer in the car with Ashlyn. This is great. <laughs> but, in, but in many ways, it's a, it's a hard thing to say, wait a minute, I'm not sure you're ready for this, but it's, it's still right and it's, it's good. We can't always be with others and we have to trust the Lord and accept the limitations we have as people, but you know, Paul also is a great example that even when we can't be with others, we can be involved with them and engage with them as we pray for them and encourage them. He's writing this letter to Timothy. He regularly prayed for those that he could not be with, seeking to encourage them from afar. So the reality is we benefit from the companionship of others, but at times we will be without them. We won't be with them. We see a second way our lives are benefited by others in this text, that we benefit from the help of others. Notice back up in verse 11, he said, only Luke is with me, pick up Mark. Who was it that Paul said, hey, Timothy, bring this guy with you. 
He said, pick up Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for service. I don't think he was saying nobody else would be useful. There was something special about Mark and why he wanted him there. We don't know what that was, but it's amazing if you remember the account of Mark and what took place with him, this is such an encouragement. He says Mark is, is useful for service. He's, a, he's like a deacon. It's a word that's used for that of ministry or support. Uh, I need Mark. I long to have Mark with me. You may remember Mark back in, in Acts chapter 13 on, on the first missionary journey that Paul went in the late 40s. Paul and his companions put out to sea, it says in verse 13, from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John, this was John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. On the first missionary journey, Mark was with Paul, but at some point he left. He said, I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna stick it out with you. I'm, I'm headed back to Jerusalem. Fast forward a few years and, and on the second missionary journey in Acts 15, 36 to 38, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark along with them. But Paul, it says, kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. The result of this was Barnabas going one way and Paul going another. The Lord multiplied the ministry through this disagreement between them. But Paul said, I don't, I don't trust Mark. I don't want Mark to be with us. He deserted us and so we're not gonna take him. Well, by the time Paul writes to Philemon in the late 50s or early 60s, he says, Mark is in that same category that Demas was. He's a fellow worker. We don't know all that transpired during that time. We don't know how these men were reconciled and trust was rebuilt and, and there was a, a restoration to ministry relationship. But regardless, this is a reminder not to write off people who didn't start well in their relationship with us, with the Lord. It's a reminder that relationships that have been damaged can often be restored if we humble ourselves and grow. Mark became a faithful man. He, he grew, he was not always what he was and, and Paul was willing to uh, display a, a, an eagerness to forgive and, and to be restored to him. Don't think of people as they used to be. Give them opportunity to grow and, and to mature and to be restored. Have an eagerness for that in your own life. If, if you have not been what you wish you'd been in relationships in the past, actively seek to grow. Humble yourselves and pursue reconciliation and restoration. Paul not only desired the help of Mark, but he desired help from Timothy. Notice in verse 13, he says, when you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Paul had been at Troas with a man named Carpus. Apparently, he had helped Paul by providing some hospitality to him, a place to stay as he was traveling, and, and he had left some of his belongings there. He asked Timothy to stop on his way and, and pick up those belongings, the, the cloak and the books, especially these parchments. Now Troas was a, a seaport 
It was, in some ways, you could consider it on the way from Ephesus to Rome, but not exactly. This was a a significant errand that Paul was asking him to do. This was not, hey, stop at the neighborhood CVS on your way home and pick up something for me. He says, I need you to go there and bring bring my cloak. This would be a a thick outer garment that was vital for, for warmth in the winter months. This is likely one of the reasons why Paul said, I need you to get here before winter because I'm gonna be cold. (laughs) Paul understood the practical realities of life and he asked Timothy to help him in that way. And he said, bring the books, especially the parchments, maybe some recorded scripture, we can't be sure. Paul is in prison desiring his study tools and and desiring to be able to continue to write letters to others. Paul was not idle and he needed Timothy's help to make the most of that time and to continue to do the things that, that God had for him to do. You see, Paul benefited greatly from those who would help him in a variety of ways. And Paul was humble enough to ask for it. You know, Paul was not abusing these relationships. Paul was not saying, you know, I'm just gonna do nothing and expect others to do everything for me. But he wasn't above asking for help. He understood he, he needed that. How about us? Are we willing to ask others for help? Again, not taking advantage of them, but recognizing that God has designed us to function as a part of the body and we are one part. We need the whole. We, we benefit from others. And are we eager to help as we have opportunity and giftedness? I mean, think of this man, Carpus. We don't know much about him, but he opened up his home apparently to Paul. He was hospitable, eager to have him, to serve him as he was able. Think about Mark who, who failed, but then became a faithful servant who was useful and, and beneficial to, to Paul in the ministry. And Timothy, eager to, to run an errand and, and encourage his friend to, to be with him. You see, our lives are connected to other people and we benefit from the help we can give one another. But all the people connected to Paul's life were not helpful. That will be true for us as well. The reality is we benefit from the help of others, but at times we will be hurt by them. Notice verse 14, the next relationship Paul mentions. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. We meet an Alexander in in the midst of the uproar in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, verses 30 to 35. We also see an Alexander in 1 Timothy 1.20, when it says, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, so that we will be taught not to blaspheme. It's possible that this Alexander is the same one. Possibly he'd become an apostate and, and then he had set out to harm Paul either, either simply through the, the opposing of his teaching which was clearly part of it or, or possibly even through turning him in. It says he did me much harm. It, it can be word that can be used of, of showing or pointing out something and so some think he may have been a part of Paul's arrest. Rather than helping Paul, he was hurting him and his ministry. He did him much harm. Notice Paul's response to this. He says, he did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Paul doesn't call Timothy to avenge him. 
You know, he doesn't say the next time you see Alexander, key his chariot for me, would you? Because he's, he's been a, a real, you know, rock in my shoe. No, he, he says the Lord will avenge. The Lord will repay. God is the one who will make, uh, display justice for those who have wronged us. Romans 12, 19 and 20 says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, when we've been harmed, when we've been hurt, it's easy to want to take our own vengeance. It's easy to say that person deserves what they have given me and I will be the instrument by which they suffer in that manner. Paul says, no, that's, that's actually God's job. Let God be God. He is just, leave room for him. Don't try to do what you're not called to do. Entrust yourself to the Lord. Your job actually, verse 20 of Romans 12 says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. We, we keep showing kindness to our enemies, to those who wrong us, and God deals justly. This was Jesus' attitude in 1 Peter 2, 23. It says, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You see, the fact that you don't pay people back doesn't mean that justice is not done. It means you recognize you're not the instrument of that God is. God knows perfectly what is deserved and God will deal justly with others. You see, when hurt by others, we must trust God and allow him to be God. God is just and righteous. Every wrong will be justly repaid either by that person or by Christ bearing that person's sin. No sin goes unpunished. We don't need to take our own revenge, rather we love our enemies, do good to them, as we saw in Romans 12, and, and that's really what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five when he, he's speaking of loving our enemies and, and praying for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. As we get to be like God, we show, show kindness to our enemies. God allows the sun to shine on those who hate him. He brings rain on the crops and, and the yards of those who hate him. Doesn't mean that one day he won't deal justly with them, he will, but he is kind and gracious. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? No, it's our joy to, to not take our own revenge, but to, to love our enemies even. At the same time, Paul urged Timothy to be on guard against Alexander. He says the Lord will repay him, but you be on guard against him, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. We can both be kind and leave room for the wrath of God and protect ourselves and others from the influence of those who would seek to harm the cause of Christ. When hurt by others, we must trust God and his justice. And we also must look for the good, for the benefit that he is producing even through that harm. You know, God is sovereign. 
He is working for good even through the evil others do. You remember the account of Joseph and, and his brother's sin against him. How they wickedly and in jealousy threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. And, and at the end of, of, of Genesis 50, when Joseph is with his brothers again, he says, as for me, you meant evil against me in Genesis 50 verse 20. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You know, James 1, 13 to 15 and numerous other passages make it crystal clear that God is never the author of sin and he never condones or excuses sin, but God does work through the sinful acts of people to bring good. Both of those realities are true. They meant it for evil and it was evil. And yet God meant it for good. He brought about a good result. What is that good? Well, in the case of Joseph, it was clear. It was Joseph being in his present position and preserving the people. We don't always get to see so clearly what is the good that God is bringing through the sinful acts of others. And even in the case of Joseph, it took years for him to see the good that God was producing. But we know that 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 good is chiefly the conformity to Christ of those who know and love him. Romans 8, 28, which speaks of God working all things for good to those who love him, goes right into verses 29 and 30, which articulate how God is at work to conform us to the image of his son. What is the good that God is doing if, if, through the harm of others, through the sinful hurt that others produce? A significant part of that good should be our own growth through that the conformity to Christ that comes. And, and there's more, like in the case of Joseph, again, we don't always see those things. We don't always recognize them. We rarely see them in a short time frame. but over time, we can often see the good that is produced. So sometimes we benefit from others because they're actively seeking to support and help us. Other times we benefit because God takes their abandonment or their other sin against us and he uses it for our good. When others sinfully abandon, oppose, or hurt you, demonstrate your trust in God by allowing him to be God. Don't take your own revenge. Love your enemies as God has loved you and, and look for the good he's producing even though they meant it for evil. You know, stepping back, we see Paul is eager for the companionship and help which have characterized his relationship with so many. He's particularly eager having recently faced abandonment and hurt. You know, though Paul had been abandoned and hurt, it didn't sour him on all relationships with all people, did it? He, he could have thought, you know, Demas deserted me. What if I write a letter to Paul or to Timothy and, and he doesn't come either? Like, I, I, don't, I couldn't handle that. No, he, he, he's not um, jaded towards all. But the reality is this, is this is part of what we experience in human relationships. We face these same realities from companionship to loneliness, from being helped to greatly hurt, from, from sometimes the same person in, in a, a very short period of time certainly over the course of our lives. 
As we see these examples, it instructs us in how we should strive to benefit others in our lives and that, that we can help and support them. We can not abandon and oppose them and it reminds us that pain is a part of human relationships. We ought not be surprised by it. We should look forward to the day when sin is no more and those hardships are done away with But even more encouraging than that, we ought not feel trapped or bound by reality of pain and hardships in human relationships. I think we're all prone to think that we will live well only if or, or primarily if we enjoy companionship and help. But we cannot or it's a, a real struggle if we face abandonment and hurt. That was a temptation for Timothy and for each of us. And, and if we stopped here, you might get the sense from Paul that, you know, Timothy, if you don't come, you don't bring that cloak and those parchments and, and Mark, this may not end well. But not only does Paul remind Timothy that our lives are benefited by other people, sometimes in ways we easily recognize, sometimes not, but against that backdrop of of the reality of being abandoned and opposed, he spotlights a second reality of relationships that our faithfulness is not dependent on other people. Oh yes, our lives are benefited by others, but our faithfulness is not dependent on them. Notice verse 16. He says, at my first defense, no one supported me but all deserted me, may it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. He says at my first defense, not not his first imprisonment years ago, that would have been old news to Timothy, but at his first hearing or the preliminary investigation and his trial, kind of like a grand jury for us, he would have been permitted to have a defense attorney, somebody advocating for him and to call witnesses on his behalf. And he says, with that opportunity, no one supported him, but all deserted him. It was crickets, there was nobody. Possibly this includes Luke who was with him now, although maybe Luke hadn't been there at that point and and even some of the others who were there and mentioned in this text. But notice Paul's response. He says, may it not be counted against them. Now that sounds a lot like the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? Father, forgive them. (laughs) They know not what they do. Like Christ and Paul, we should be eager to forgive, to treat others with grace when they fail us. But he says in verse 17, there was no one with me, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I had no human relationships with me. I had no support from other people. And yet I was not alone. The Lord was with me. The Lord who had endured such circumstances himself, Jesus, our great high priest, knows what it's like to be alone, to be abandoned in this life. John 16, 32, Jesus said an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Jesus understood. Jesus was with him and, and it says, and strengthened him. This was not a new thought to Paul. 
In 1 Timothy 1.12, he said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into his service. Paul lived with an understanding that he was strengthened by Christ. Everything Paul had done in his life and ministry since coming to know the Lord Jesus was through the strength that he had supplied. You know, in order to be strengthened by the Lord in this manner, we must first be humble and recognize our dependence on him. God taught Paul that, that in in our weakness, we are made strong. You know, our confidence can never come from ourselves or our past faithfulness. Paul didn't say, you know, I knew I've been in this situation a lot and I've always been bold before, so it's no big deal. No, he was humble. He, He knew he needed the Lord's grace and strength. Pride goes before the fall, but God gives grace to the humble. But Christ strengthens us, not in some mystical way that is apart from our own involvement. He, he strengthens us through the resources that he gives us. Ephesians chapter six, Paul wrote in verses 10 and 11, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And how do we do that? He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We don't have time this morning to look at all that that entails, but Paul understood our strength comes from God through the the resources that he's given us of his word, the truth that we meditate on, taking our thoughts captive and, and praying to the Lord that through those things, God gives us strength we do not have in and of ourselves. You see, while we benefit from and can be greatly helped by other people, we are not dependent on them in order to be faithful because our ultimate source of help and strength is not other people, it is the Lord. He often uses his body, other people, to provide that. It's a privilege when he allows us to be used in that way, but he is not limited to that. Paul says, because the Lord was with me, because the Lord strengthened me, he was faithful and and knew he would be in two ways. The first is in proclaiming the gospel. He, He says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and all the Gentiles might hear. It says the proclamation is is fully accomplished at at this first defense, this pretrial hearing. Paul had the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. This is what Paul did every time. He's arrested, they ask him a question, what does he do? He proclaims the gospel. He he viewed it as a platform to declare the truth about God. This, This likely would have been a public hearing in Rome, possibly even before the emperor himself. And so Paul did what he had charged Timothy to do. He preached the word. Certainly, I would say being abandoned by others and on trial for your life would fit into that out of season category of preaching the word, right? You know, that's what Paul did. He said, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna proclaim the word because of God's strength and God is with me. And so Paul could say, I finished the course. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And here he was in the capital city of the Roman Empire, standing before uh, many of the prominent people in the world at that time, speaking the truth of Christ. Do you think you can only proclaim the gospel or speak up for the truth when you're a part of a majority or you at least have somebody with you who's, who's standing with you? 
It's a blessing to stand with others, but God gives strength to stand alone. And he says, I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. We, we don't know exactly what he means. Maybe he wasn't fed to the lions, literally out of their mouth, or possibly referring to Nero or the devil, whatever it was, Paul understood God had preserved him. He had rescued him. But this temporal rescue was not as exciting to Paul as the proclamation being fully accomplished. Even as you, as you read this verse, you know, that's what I would start with probably. I didn't get eaten by lions. God was with me. What does Paul start with? He says the proclamation was, uh, was fully proclaimed. It was fully accomplished. And oh, by the way, I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's cool too. Paul was faithful in proclaiming the gospel in spite of the fact that he stood alone. And Paul was confident he would be faithful secondly in persevering to the end. Notice verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Again, not because of human support as much as he longed for that, but because of the Lord's faithfulness and strength, he knew that God was going to bring him home. He knew that the Lord would rescue him from every evil deed, not necessarily keeping him from the evil deeds of others, but he would keep him honoring the Lord and persevering and and he would ultimately bring him through those evil deeds of others to be safely home with his Lord in his heavenly kingdom. Paul knew the end of the story of his life and it wasn't dependent on the faithfulness of other people in his life, but on the Lord's faithfulness and sustaining grace. Paul knew, having seen the Lord's faithfulness thus far, that God would continue that work he began in him, as Philippians 1.6 says. God was gonna finish what he started. He would bring him safely home. What we need most in this life is not the faithfulness of others, important as that may be. It is the faithfulness of our God, and that is guaranteed. That's why he concludes this letter to Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. That's what Timothy needed most, was the Lord and his sustaining grace. So beloved, let's not buy the lie that our faithfulness is dependent on others that we can only be a godly husband if our wife is faithful or a godly wife if our husband is seeking to honor the Lord, that we can only be a good parent if our kids are responsive and receptive or or a, a, a child who honors the Lord if our parents are godly. Don't buy the lie that that you can only be a faithful church member when others in the body are faithful to you or that you can only faithfully proclaim Christ or live with integrity when, when others are with you. No, you can be faithful in all of those things regardless of others in your life because God is with you, because God strengthens his people. It's of great benefit when God brings others And that's one of the chief intents of God calling us together corporately and why we value and benefit from the body of Christ, but our faithfulness does not depend on others. Paul knew that what Timothy needed most was the Lord. He understood that the sustaining grace that God gives often comes through faithful people. And so he wrote Timothy a letter 
a letter to encourage him and, and to spur him on and he asked him to come to be with him at this difficult season of life, but Paul is such an example of keeping a mature, balanced perspective on the realities of relationships with others in his life. He valued the people in his life. Timothy, come quickly. I need you. He longed to be a blessing to others. He longed to impart to them a benefit of of being with him. And he recognized his need of others, both for the sake of further ministry and his own encouragement. He understood that a primary means God uses to strengthen his people and his children are relationships with others. May that never, or may that always be true of us as well, never thinking that God has intended for us to go at it alone, benefiting from others and being faithful in their life ourselves. And yet Paul recognized that his ultimate help and strength came from the Lord. He understood his own faithfulness was not dependent on others, though he longed to be with them. And he understood that if in God's providence, no one else was with him, no one else stood with him, but the Lord, it was enough. He was thankful that was for brief seasons, brief seasons that reminded him that God made us for and regularly provides the relationships that we so deeply need as we're faithful to pursue him and and faithful to give ourselves to others, but we rest wholly in our God. May that be true of each of us individually and of this church corporately. May we think biblically and maturely about the realities of relationships with other people, rightly valuing them, but never resting our hope of faithfulness on them. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for Paul and his example of faithfulness to us. Thank you that he opens up his heart to us in this text and he shares the reality of relationships in his life. Lord, many who were very dear to him and and faithful to him, but others who hurt him deeply and abandoned him. And and Lord, we thank you that we see in this your heart, your heart of, of restoration, your heart of forgiveness, your heart of encouraging and helping others. And Lord, we see you are the only one who is ultimately faithful to us in every sense. Thank you that our, our faithfulness is not dependent on others, though it is greatly helped by them, that it rests solely on you. Lord, you are enough for us. We thank you for that. We thank you that you have demonstrated that reality so profoundly in the gift of your son. Lord, that's why we can be strengthened. That's why we can be faithful, not because of ourselves, but because of the lavish grace you have shown us in him. We thank you for Christ and we thank you for the relationships you give. In your name we pray, amen.